Boom. Thank you, brother. Thank you, dude. Thank you, awesome. Good morning. Hey, stay standing. Stay standing. Come on now. Good morning. Good morning. I want everybody to stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Come on now. Let's turn this into a house of energy. Good morning. There you go. It's so good to be able to be with you guys today. I've known Pastor Eric and his wife. Stay standing. I got a little exercise you're going to do. I've known Pastor Eric and his wife for a while now, and uh, they are doing an amazing job. Would you agree with me? You've got amazing pastors. Come on out. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, just real quick, uh, I'm a pastor. I uh, uh, We have multiple campuses all over, actually, the nation. And uh, uh, we coach about several hundred churches a month, and I've written some books and all that. Uh, and then, uh, but I have a big part of my heart is helping to feed children. So I carve out a little bit of my life to do that this morning to partner with Pastor Eric to do that. I'm married to a beautiful Hispanic woman. Oh, she's hot. And, uh, um, been married for 27 years. How many Hispanics do we have here? Come on now. I want to point out that I've been to the family reunion and you're normally louder than that. Um, we'll try that again. How many Hispanics do we have here? That's better. There you go. So uh, we've been married for 27 years. We have two amazing children. And then we have this third one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but we have two amazing children. And uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we're just blessed. And God's just so awesome. So, hey, I want to uh, uh, find out who I'm working with today. Would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands out really wide like this? Let's have some fun this morning. Would you put your hands out really wide like this? And here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, on the count of three, I want you to clap your hands. Ready? No, I said on the count of three. You're already doing it over here. What part of one, two, three didn't you get? No, um, here we go. On the count of three, I want you to clap your hand. Ready? One, two, and three. Okay. Now this time, I want you to clap your hands and however they land, however they naturally land, just hold them together. Don't, don't go back out. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, and three. Okay. Now bring them in close like that so you can take a look at them. If your left thumb, is over the right thumb. Look down. Left thumb over the right thumb. Just keep them together, but put it high in the air. Left thumb over the right thumb. Okay, quite a bit. You people are the best thinkers in the room. Oh, yeah, you're the smartest people. If your hands aren't up, God loves you. You just can't add. Um, now, if your right thumb, you got your best thinkers, you know, thinkers. Now, if your right thumb, opposite, your right thumb is over the left thumb, opposite. Lift it up in the air. Right thumb over the left thumb. Okay, you people are the best looking in the room. Oh, yeah. No, you're hot. And uh, we, have, we have agents that are going to sign you up for modeling. No, I'm showing. Um, so you got your best thinkers and you got your best looking. How many, uh, how many had your thumbs perfectly come together? Perfectly just came together and landed like, okay, it's a couple of you. You people just think you're good looking. It's sort of an ego issue with you. All right. You can be seated now. Now I know who I'm working with. That really helps me a lot. Hey, if you got a Bible, if you got a Bible, go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is what we're going to be looking at. If you don't have a Bible, next time you're at a hotel, get one. Uh, it's amazing how many. I've got like 30 of them, and, and uh, it's, it's, I've stolen all of them. Um, but it's great to be able to be with you. My wife always says that I am an adventurous person. I love adventure. Absolutely love it. The scarier, the crazier, the more wild it is, the more it's on the, you know, kind of on the edge. I like it. Now, I've done a lot of things. My wife says I have a bucket list, you know, like I'm at a, you know, bungee jump, skydive, or, or go down the Nile River, or, you know, climb the, be on the equator in Africa, you know, or climb the, climb the pyramid, or something like that. Uh, I've, I've always loved doing adventure. And, and a few years back, we had this thing at our church 
called Living the Great Adventure. And it was where every week we had uh, one of our staff members do something crazy. And then uh, it was at the campus where I was speaking at regularly. I don't speak at one of our campuses regularly now. We have so many of them I kind of pop around. But I was speaking regularly at one of our largest campuses. And we did this thing with five staff members. We selected five of them to do this five-week series called Living the Great Adventure. And we would film something crazy they did in the week and we'd put it on the screen. Like we had one guy, he had to learn how to water ski barefoot. But that's not all that crazy. But we tied his hands to the little bars. And when he fell forward, we just dragged him and we put it on the screen. And it was awesome. And then we had one one guy, that, that worship leader, who had never even, is far from being a cowboy. We taught him how to bull ride. We went out to this place, and he bull ride, and he just got crushed. And uh, and then we had this children's director, and he got, he got we went down to the Sheriff's Academy, and he got all foamed up, you know, with the foam, and got attacked by dogs. Uh, he didn't make it. Uh, but um, we needed to make a move with him anyway. He wasn't doing a good job. No, Sean. Um, and so then my job, everybody knew it, but like we didn't say it, but everybody knew that I was going to skydive. Like, you know what I mean? Like we didn't say it, but everybody knew that I was going to do the skydiving. How many ever skydived before? Lift every hand, hand in the air. I'm like, anybody? Not one person in this adventurous church. Really going for it, Pastor Eric. This is a wild crowd. Um, I, uh, I skydived and that was my job and I didn't tandem. Now tandem is where you get hooked onto somebody. I wanted a free fall by myself. And so what happened was, is uh, it was my week, and people knew I was going to do something crazy, and they figured I was going to skydive, but nobody talked about it. Long story short, um, you know, Thursday rolls around, and I go down, and I sign up for skydiving, and I do all the little signatures, and I sign all this stuff. I go inside the class for skydiving, you know, and it's the small little class. There's only like four or five of us that are jumping, free-falling. We're not, we're not tandem. We're not hooked to anybody. We're doing it all by ourselves. So... I go inside this classroom, it's a small little classroom, and, and they're teaching, and the teacher's going on and on, and I raised my hand here in the class, and I said, hey, I noticed that when I was signing up for that this morning, that you guys, I asked the guy, the teacher, the instructor, I said, you guys don't guarantee anything in the little classroom. He goes, no, we don't guarantee nothing. I said, you don't guarantee the plane? He goes, nope. I said, you don't guarantee the instructions? He goes, nope. I said, you don't guarantee the parachute? He said, no. I said, you don't guarantee the landing? This is what he says. He goes, oh, no, we guarantee you'll land. One way or another, dude, you will hit the ground. And so I was like, oh, praise God. And so anyway, then he gives me a piece of paper. I'm not even kidding. They give out this piece of paper, and it's got 21 different hand signals. Because when you jump, two guys jump out like 50 feet away from you, and they give you hand signals while you're skydiving. And the, like your arms are too far apart, your legs are too far apart, so you don't spin out of control because you can spin out of control really fast. There's 21 hand signals. So I raised my hand in the class and said, hey, I said, I just want to ask you a question. I said, uh, uh, are these hand signals important? And the, and the instructor's like, oh, yeah. He goes, that's a matter of life and death. I said, how am I going to remember all 21 of them? Here's what he tells me. He goes, oh, don't worry. You can take the paper with you. I'm like, how's that going to help? You know, I got it. You know, just anyway. So there it is. Now it's time for us to skydive. Now, that night, we were going to, my kids were really small at the time. That night, we were going to go to Chuck E. Cheese, and we were going to go see Wizard of Oz the play at a community theater. And I called my wife, and I said, hey, it's taking longer than I thought. I said, so, you know, bring my clothes down. I, we, I lived about an hour away from the skydiving. Bring my clothes down. I'll just have to change here after skydiving, and then we're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese, and then we're going to go see Wizard of Oz play. So everybody's fired up. Oh, come on down, man. They say I'm going to jump in like an hour, so come on down. My son's got the Chuck E. Cheese tokens in his pocket, you know. My daughter's all dressed up as Dorothy with the little pigtails and a basket. My wife's got the life insurance policy. Everybody's happy. And um, 
she comes on down, you know, she's like, he's worth more dead, Lord. Anyway, so they come on down, you know, and then it's time to, you know, they're like, okay, you're going to jump in like 20 minutes. There were some problems up in the air, too much wind. And I'm standing there all done up, got the goggles, the parachute, the little jumpsuit thing, and I'm standing there, and I'm talking to my son. I'll never forget it. And my daughter's right here. She's about nine years old. My son's about eight at the time, talking to my wife, and I'm talking to my son, and my son says, Dad, he's a very compassionate kid. Dad, I don't want you to go. What if something happens? And I try to comfort him. I'm like, don't worry, son. God will take care of me. But in my mind, I'm thinking, will he? Or is he up in heaven going, you're the dummy. Don't jump. And so then I overhear my daughter say to my wife. Now, she doesn't know I overhear this. But my daughter says to my wife, if daddy dies, we're still going to see the wizard, right? I want to make sure that we got this settled, you know. So anyway, now it's time for me to jump. So they get me up in the air, you know, and we go around. A few people have jumped, and then it's fine. my turn to jump. And the guy yells out, this is me and my two jump masters. Now, I had two guys that jumped with me. They're 50 feet on each side. They're called jump masters. And they were like party animal type guys. And their names, are you ready for this one? Their names were Yo-Yo and Ed. My life was in the hand of a Yo-Yo and an Ed and so we get up in the air, you know, and, and we're flying around. The guy yells out, 90 seconds to jump. They open up this, like, this garage door. You put your foot here, your foot here, your hand here, your hand here. And they yell out, 60 seconds to jump. And I looked at Yo-Yo. I'll never forget. My, now, by the way, my heart was beating. No joke. This is honest to God. Don't you love when pastors do that? I love when pastor goes, can I be honest with you? Because I'm always thinking, what have you been doing up to this point? But anyway, um, I feel my heartbeat, and it's like, I'm not even kidding. It's not like, doom, doom. it's like, ba 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 And I was just like, ready to pass out, you know, and I was like, man, if the church didn't know that I was going to jump, I would have chickened out, but the Bible says pride comes before a fall, it was about to happen, and uh, um, so I'm standing there, you know, and I'm like, they're all 30 seconds to jump, and I looked at Yo-Yo, he's standing there with me, and I yelled at Yo-Yo, and I said, hey, Yo-Yo, you got to yell because the wind's coming in, I go, I want you to know, I'm really scared, this is what he says, don't worry, me and Ed will be just fine, I'm like, who cares about you and Ed? So I'm standing there like in 15 seconds of dump, boom, you know, and finally I go into the air. Now, I went flying through the air, and it was incredible. And I, uh, you know, parachute open, everything worked out. My landing was horrible, but everything worked out. Now, here's the thing. I have in my life, I love doing adventurous stuff. And maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I know this much. As I've looked through the Bible and I've studied it, now you may be a Christian today. You may be a person that's just checking out church. And by the way, you're at the best church in the city, so you don't need to go anywhere else. That would have been a good time to cheer, but whatever. Let's try that again. Hey, you know, if you're here for the first time, you're at the best church. You don't need to go anywhere else. You found it. There you go. Trying to help you out, Pastor Eric. But anyway, they, uh, uh, and, and, or you might be new to church. And you, maybe, maybe this is kind of new to you. But let me tell you something about Jesus that I've learned. Jesus, the son of God. I always think that I'm adventurous. And then I look at his life when he was on this earth. And I'm thinking, I can't hold a candle to the crazy adventures that he does. He goes down to the ocean and he walks on water. I live in Southern California. I'd love to walk on water, walk by a surfer. How you doing? Just freak him out, you know. He goes to a party and turns water into wine. Talk about being a hit at your local colleges. He would be it. He goes to a funeral, walks up to the front, and says to the dead person, you can get out now. Now, don't try that unless you're really confident. But um, he, he does the adventurous thing. Now, here's what I have found. 
We're not going to look at it right now. On the verb, we're going to go to John 6. But in Mark 16, we don't have time to go there. Mark 16, I found a verse that sort of threads the miracles that God does with something else. And it was found in Mark 16, verse 19 through 20. It says that the disciples went out. Disciples are followers of Jesus. They went out and they preached and they fed children, which Pastor Eric alluded to. We're going to have an opportunity to do that today, which is the right thing to do. We're going to feed children. So the disciples went out. They preached. They healed people. They fed children. They did all sorts of incredible stuff. And then it says, and the miracles followed. And then it occurred to me when I read that portion of Scripture. It jumped out at me. Three words. Miracles follow action. Say it out loud with me, everybody in the house. Come on, all three words. Miracles follow. Come on. Miracles follow action. Miracles. Think about it in the Bible. When they, when they, there's a story in the Bible where they cut a hole in the roof, these people, and they lowered this man down because the crowds were so big right in front of Jesus, and he got healed. Now, why did he get healed? Because his friends took action, and the miracle followed. There was a woman who had a blood disease, and people were crowded around Jesus, and she kind of pushed them aside, and she touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. Why? Because she took action. Miracles, help me out, follow what? Action every single time. And I've learned that in my life. That I've seen, now we think of miracles. Well, you pray for someone and a blind eye opens, you know, or a deaf ear opens. But God does miracles. God wants to do miracles in your marriage. God wants to do miracles in your finances. God wants to do miracles in your own heart. There are, the greatest miracle of all is when you find, when you help someone find Jesus. There's no greater miracle than salvation, period. But miracles are around. Now here's what I have learned. Most of us will never see a miracle because we'll never do anything that requires one. And that's the part that, that I look at. I look at the scripture and I'm saying, God, I want to I wanna live a life of miracles. I've watched us plant a church and watched it explode. I've watched God do amazing things. We started this thing called Feed One just five years ago. It's an initiative of Convoy of Hope. We are now feeding. Are you ready? We are now feeding 176,000 children a day in 11 countries in five years. We have seen God do amazing things, but I'm telling you, it's always because we step out and miracles follow action. And there are some things that God wants to do in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, in your dreams, in your heart, in your goal that God wants to do. And miracles always follow action. And I want to like take a look at John chapter 6. And I want to give you the story of when Jesus fed. We're going to be feeding children today. So it's this you know, a, a great story to go to, to talk about feeding people. But Jesus fed people. And there were three, there was a, in John chapter six, verse one through six, uh, we're going to look at that verse and we're going to look at a few more verses. And there's three kind of thoughts that jump out at me. Here's John chapter six, verse one. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with the disciples around him, it was nearly time for the, uh, the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a crowd of people saying to him, uh, uh, looking for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Jesus asked this question, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Don't you love when Jesus asks a question you darn well know he knows the answer to? All the disciples are like, you answer the question, you answer it. I get it wrong, then we go down. Uh, anyway. He was, now this is one of my favorite scriptures, Pastor Eric. He was testing Philip. 
for he already knew what he was going to do. Let me give you a little history because I've been to Israel. Okay? He was teaching in an area called Bethsaida. Say Bethsaida. Okay, he's teaching in an area called Bethsaida. He said, and now Bethsaida is a place where you can buy food. There's villages there back in that, those days, 2,000 years ago. You can buy food. You can stay the night. It's a very safe little city. Okay? He gets done speaking, and he's like, hey, if you want to hear part two, come with me over here. And he goes over to an area called Tiberias. Now, isn't it interesting? It'd be like Pastor Eric preaching and halfway through go, if you guys want to hear the rest of it, follow me to Albuquerque. It's just, you know, it's a little different. But for whatever reason, he's like, if you want to hear the rest of us, come over to Tiberias. That's an eight-mile walk. They come over here. Now, in Tiberias, there is no food. There is no city. And there's not a lot of safety. So at the very end of his message, Philip comes up and says, hey, Jesus, um, what are we going to do here? We don't have enough food to feed these people. You took us from Bethsaida, eight miles away to Tiberias. The sun's going down. It's not safe for us to travel back. Uh, there's 5,000. What are we going to do, Jesus? And I love it. He said he was testing Philip. We already knew what he was going to do. Isn't it interesting that Jesus took him from Bethsaida, all 5,000 of them, to a place called Tiberias. He took them from a place of comfort to a place where they had to trust him. It's interesting. You know, what I've noticed is that Jesus is far more concerned about your character than your comfort. And he brought them all the way over here into this place called Tiberias. It was, it's very interesting. And here's the things that pop out to me. He was testing. He was setting it up for a miracle. And here's thought number one. Jesus loves to do miracles. He still loves it. Jesus loves to do miracles. He still is in the miracle working business. He loves to do miracles. He wants to do miracles in you and I. He is about doing miracles. And I think sometimes we think of that big word again as the blind eye opening or the deaf ear opening. But he wants to do miracles. He wants to do miracles in you and he wants to do miracles through you. Say it with me. He wants to do miracles in you, but he also wants to do miracles through you. That's what he wants. And there's things in your life that God wants to do inside of your life. Believe me, I know. I know that. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But he wants to do miracles inside of your life. And he wants to do miracles through your life because he loves doing miracles. But here's the crazy thing that blows my mind is this, is the second thought that jumps into my mind is this. Jesus wants to use others. That blows my mind. So here's the thing. He loves doing miracles. Follow this now. He loves doing miracles. He just doesn't like doing them alone. He wants to do them in partnership with you and I. The holy God of Israel wants to be in partnership with the chief of all sinners, Chris Songson. It's amazing. He loves to use others. He loves to do miracles. He just doesn't like doing them alone. Look with me in verse 7. Philip replied, even if we weren't for months, remember, Philip said, where are we going to get the food? You got us in Tiberias. What are we going to do? Lord, we got all these people here. And look, at, look at his reply. Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother speaks up. So Andrew comes and speaks up and says, hey, I got a little boy here with five loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Isn't it interesting? So here's, here's Philip talking to, to Jesus, like, we don't got no food. You brought us all the way over here. What are we going to do? He's kind of complaining to Jesus. Andrew walks up and says, I got a little boy here with a sack lunch. He's got some food. He's got some bread and some fish in it. I don't know what we could do with it. Now, a little time out. How many of you know kids mostly don't like to share their food? 
I always wonder what happened behind the scene, you know, if Andrew was like, look, if you want to make it in the Bible, give up your sack lunch. You know, but so they bring him all over here, you know, and now he's got this little sack of lunch. Now, here's an interesting thought. If if Jesus can do miracles, what does he need a sack lunch for? I mean, couldn't have Jesus just picked up a, a rock on the ground and said, become fish? Yes or no? I mean, he did this whole earth thing in six days. I think he could have handled that. Could, could he have picked up a stick and said, turn into bread? Yes or no? Of course he could. Then why didn't he? Why didn't he just do that? Everybody's freaking out. Why not just take and pick up a rock and pick up a, 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 a stick and just say, turn into food? Why didn't he just do that? You know why? Because he wanted everybody to be a part of the miracle working process. He wants you to be a part of it, and he wants me to be a part of it. He wants all of us to be a part of the miracle, even a little boy with a sack lunch, even a guy like Chris Songson, even you, even a guy like Pastor Eric. He wants us to be a part of the miracle working process. He loves doing miracles. Help me out. He just doesn't like doing them what? Alone. He wants to do them with others and in partnership with people. I told you, you know, that we, I speak at the different campuses now. We have a whole bunch of campuses and all that, but... There was, uh, there was uh, one, one time when I was speaking regularly at the campus I told you about, and uh, I'll never forget when I was, uh, we had, I think, four, we had two Saturday night services and four Sunday morning services at this campus. It's a very large campus, and so I remember sitting right here in the front row-ish, you know, service is about to start, it's about two minutes before, and I watch this, and, and there's a bunch of aisles, you know, there's not aisles here, but there's some aisles, you know, and it's a lot wider, and he comes, this guy comes walking down. And now I, you know, and he is like six one, six two, and he's probably 50, 55 years old. And he just looks, I don't know how else to say it. He just looks like the mob. Totally. Not like kind of, you ever met someone you're like, I don't know who you are, but man, you look intimidating. I never get that problem, but, but. You know, he walks in and he's just, he's got black sunglasses on, he's, he's tattooed, he, his, he just looks mob, his hair's slicked back, never, ever, ever takes off his sunglasses, ever, and he comes and he sits down towards the front, and I remember going over there right before service started, how you doing? I said, my name's Pastor Chris. He goes, how you doing? I'm like, oh dear God, this guy's going to kill me, and uh, um. So then it's time for, you know, for music goes on and all that. And I get up to speak and I speak and he's in the front row and I'm, I'm, you know, doing a big crowd in there and people are laughing and he's not laughing. And I'm like, he doesn't like it. He's definitely going to kill me. And so we get done and I talk to him afterwards and he doesn't say more than a few words and he comes the next week, you know, and I remember sitting there one week and, uh, and I was sitting over there and we do the offering at the end. And so I'm sitting over there and I, and I look over at Glenn, he's sitting right in the front row, always in the front row, same seat. And we're time for the offering, you know, and I look over and the guy's praying for the offering and I got my eyes closed. And I kind of look over to see what's going on with Glenn. He pulls up his pant leg and there is a grip of $100 bills that are rubber band to his, to his ankle. He undoes the rubber band, pulls out all these 100, pat, 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 throws them in the offering, puts them back on his ankle. And here's what I'm thinking. If the money is on this ankle, what's on this ankle? You know, I'm thinking death. And so... Now, we do this big thing called Family Month. Matter of fact, we're in it right now. It's our biggest month of the year. We have our biggest crowds, biggest month of the year. It's Family Month. It's a great thing. A lot of churches do it. So we do this thing called Family Month. Okay, and I was like, okay, bring friends. It's going to be great, blah, blah, blah. So Thursday rolls around. I get a phone call, in my, uh, and my assistant knocks on my door. Pastor Chris, you have a call on line one. 
And I said, oh, take a message. I've got to finish this up, and I'll call him back in like an hour. He said, okay, it's, it's Glenn. And I said, oh, nope, hold on. I'll take the call now. Because I was thinking, I don't want to put him on hold because, again, he'll kill me. And um, so I was like, okay. I said, I pick up the phone. No joke. This is exactly how the conversation goes. No joke. I pick it up. I go, this is Chris. Chris, Glenn, I'm bringing 16 people to family month this Sunday. Reserve the first three rows. And he hangs up. No goodbye, no hello, no shalom, nothing. He just hangs up, and I'm like, that's it? You know, now I'm a nervous wreck, you know, and I'm like, okay, let's rope it off. And you go to Lowe's, and you buy some rope, you know. I'm getting it all. I got there at 4 in the morning, and I just watched the three rows. Because I, I didn't want anybody to mess it up, you know. We got them all roped off, and we're just standing there. Service is about to start, you know. We're like five minutes away. I'm like, where is he? I got the rose reserved. Where is he at? Where is he at? You know, and, and uh, people are looking at the rope, and they're walking by, and I'm kind of mo- I'm talking, you know, but I'm monitoring it because I don't want them to get messed up. And here comes some lady with a walker, you know, and I'm like, no, not now, you know. And so she fell over, a little tennis ball at the bottom, blah, 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 blah. And so, so then I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a nightmare, you know. And then all of a sudden, a minute before the service starts, from the center aisle, here comes Glenn, and he's just walking like this. You know, this, never take his sunglasses off, you know. And there are literally, not 16, 21 first-time guests behind him to the church. And they're walking. Some of them are like, we're at church. Some are like, we didn't have a choice. It was this or death. You know, um, and they come in, you know, and, and then they sit down. Now, he brought so many friends. He brought, I, I'm not even kidding, in one year, probably 100, 125 different first-time guests in one year. It was insane. Now, i got to tell you something, a little, little side note. He comes up to me one day. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. And he started serving the Lord. We baptized him. He didn't take his sunglasses off either. Uh, literally went down with him on, up with him on. I'm like, I don't even know if he has eyes. And, um, so one day, I, one day we're talking like after the service. He goes, hey, it's been about six months now. He's following the Lord now, you know. And I, I keep in mind what he owns. He owns a business, a wrecking yard. Does that not sound mobster? He, t- he brought me out there. I looked around. I thought, how many bodies are out there? Anyway, so he's like, hey, man. He goes, uh, uh, he, goes he tells me, he, goes, uh, he comes up to me. He goes, hey, he goes you, know, you know why I sit in the front row? I said, I don't know. And he goes, if anybody tries anything on you, I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking, he wants someone to try something on me. <laughs> he's looking for a reason to afflict plain. And so anyway, but here's the thing with Glenn. I watched this guy that I know after getting to know him, and all kidding aside, I, I know some of his past, and I know some of the things that he's done, and, but I watched God get a hold of this guy's life, and I watched, and I thought in my mind, God, it doesn't matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done, what we've been through, God, you want to use us all, and you are looking to partner. And I watched Glenn finance things and help build children's departments with the kind of money he has. And I, and I watched him help literally 125 people get introduced to the church, and many of them find Christ. Many of them we got to baptize. I watched all of that, all because there was a guy that just said, I'm not the best in the world, but God's going to use me. Let me tell you something. I don't know who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what's happened in your past, but I 
do know this much. You need to begin to rewire your thinking because maybe in here you're thinking, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. This is the best my life's going to get. Look, I got a job. I'm married. This is it. Maybe, just maybe, God in heaven wants to do some really incredible things through your life. But you begin to think, man, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. And God's going in me and through me. And because of me, you are enough. That's what God thinks about you. I know what that's like. I grew up at 3481 Grant Street in a, in a very run-down part of Southern California. Now, I was the token white kid. You know, like, there he is. Get him. You know, and, uh, uh, and there was violence there. Most of my friends have been in prison or dead. I'm not kidding. It was a crazy place where we grew up in. And seven of us grew up in a 900-square-foot home. I was the youngest of five. I gave my life to Christ at 14 years old. I got invited to a youth group. I rode my bike there. It was three miles away. I gave my life to Christ at this youth group. I found something there that none of my brothers or sisters found. I gave my life to Christ, and I started following him. And shortly after, a couple of years later, I just kept going to the youth group, riding my bike, getting rides, do whatever I had to do. I went out and mowed lawns because the church I went to, you had to wear a suit on Sunday. So I mowed lawns to save money to get a suit because I didn't want, not want to be in a suit at 15 years old. So I bought myself a suit at 15, the whole thing, you know, and I was all in. I loved this God thing, and I was like, I'm all in. And I remember when I was uh, um, just a couple of years into serving Jesus, still 16, 17 years old, I remember standing in the hallway at 3481 Grand Street. When my dad came up to me and said, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, Dad, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a pastor. I'm going to travel and speak. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a difference in this world. He looked at me and goes, you'll never make it. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. And I remember thinking in my mind, and I was only 16, 17 years old, but I remember thinking in my mind, I got a choice here. Either I'm either going to listen to my earthly father or I'm going to listen to my heavenly father. Which one am I going to listen to? And I made a choice on that day that I was going to listen to my God and what he said about me. I don't have any right to stand up here. The books that I've written, the book that I wrote recently, it's the second fastest selling book in America called Quit Church. It's not about quitting church. You're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Um, and I've watched God. I don't have any right to that. I just have believed like Glenn did the mob guy, that in him, through him, and because of him, I'm enough. And God wants to do something in my life, and God's not done with you. You might be 15 years old in here, you might be 85 years old, and God's not done with you. When God's done with you, you'll be dead. Until then, he has something for your life. And I'm telling you, man, what happens is we allow fear and doubt to get in the way, don't we? Now, what if I start a ministry? What if I step out and serve? What if I invite my unsaved friend? What if I open up that business? What if I write that book and no one likes it? What if I do compose that song? What if I do that thing and no one likes it and we let fear get in the way? You know what I've learned? Fear must submit to belief. People come up to me all the time, Pastor Chris, pray for me. I got a belief problem or I got a fear problem. No, you don't. You have a belief problem because when your belief goes up, the fear has to go down. And we let fear get in the way. And then we let doubt get in the way. And we let insecurity. Yes or no? Come on. Yes or no? We let insecurity get in the way. You know what we let it get in the way of most of our dreams and our heart and what God has positioned us for is other people's opinions. We do it all the time. I don't know what it is about us, but we listen to negative and broke people. 
People that come in here, that's not going to work. Oh, maybe you're right. Okay, here's what I want to tell you something. People will tear down your dreams to a level that's comfortable for themselves because your desire for excellence threatens their mediocrity. Don't let it happen. Jesus loves to do miracles. He just doesn't want to do them alone. He wants to use you. Let me give you the, the final verse I want to read to you is this. And this is the third point. Jesus multiplies it. Jesus multiplies it. Whatever we do, he multiplies it. I've watched him do it over and over. He takes our little bit of money, our tithe, and he multiplies it. He takes, God, I'm going to step out, and then he multiplies it. God, I'm going to write that book. I'm going to approve my marriage. I'm going to get the counseling I need. God, I'm going to invite my unsaved friend, my neighbor, my coworker. I don't know what you're going to do, God. I'm kind of scared. And watch what God does. God always multiplies it. Look what it says. Tell everyone to sit down. We were picking up the verses where we left off, verse 10. Jesus said, so they all sat down in the grass and soaked the men alone, number 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces in 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Wouldn't you love those kind of groceries? He brings out a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. 5,000 people eat, and then he ends up with more left over than he started with. Why is that? Just because he multiplies it. He takes what we do, and he multiplies it. I've watched him do it over and over. I love the math of Jesus. I went into a bank a while back. I don't have any money in there. I just like to go there on Mondays for the donuts. And, uh, um, and I went up there, and... I did my banking or whatever, and long story short, I said, hey, can you give me a balance on my account? I kind of know what it is. I, I figured it was around $1,700, and she looks at the account. She looks at me, and she goes, do you want me to say it out loud or write it down? I'm like, just tell me what it is. She goes, Mr. Sonson, I knew it was around $1,700, at least I thought it was. She says, you have $1,748,532.98. She says, does that sound right to you? I go, yeah, that's what I got. She said, is there anything else we can do? I said, I need to withdraw as fast as possible before you guys catch on. I really thought it was God, but it turned out they corrected everything, but back to $1,700. But um, I, don't love the, I don't love the math of the bank. You know, you put a million dollars in the bank, and a year later, you got a million dollars and three cents. They pay you like point zero 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 one. I love the math of Jesus. I feed a child for $10 a month, and it multiplies. I invite invite a neighbor to church. It multiplies. I step out and try to write a book, and I, you know, my fourth book, and I'm like, I don't know, God, I'm going to try to write. I don't don't even know how to spell. My wife goes, I don't know why people buy your books. You know how wives always kind of level things out for you. And uh, um, and uh, uh, but he just multiplies it. You know, um, I watched God multiply this thing called Feed One. See what happened was several years ago. I went to um, I went to a, uh, Haiti. Pastor Eric talked about it earlier, but years ago I went to Haiti uh, before even meeting him, and I went there and there was a small little school, like just like it was small, and we had decided to take care of that school. It was about a hundred kids, so it was a thousand dollars a month, ten dollars for each kid. We said we'll take care of that school. We go in that little school. It's a little orphanage kind of school, and uh, uh, and that's where they get a chance to hear about Jesus and they get fed every day. And I'm like, well, what if we you know, um, I'm standing there. I'm like, we'll, we'll take care of them. I'm standing up there, and they're interpreting in my ear what the speaker's saying. And all little, like, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, you've been there, all the little kids. 
and they and they say and he whispers in my ear what the guy's saying. He's saying the guy standing up there in the black jacket, he's talking about me. He says he uh, his church is the reason why you guys are getting your meal every day. All 100 kids jump up, run towards me, and tackle me, and in their own broken English are saying thank you for the food. I looked outside of the windows. They weren't windows. They were just holes inside of the brick to create ventilation in this little brick building. And all the, there was another 100 kids on the outside. I said, why aren't those kids inside here? Why are they on the outside? He goes, $10 a month. I go, what are they out there for? He goes, they're hoping there's some leftover food. And I got on a plane, and I just thought, I got to do something. I got to do something. And, uh, and so we had this idea. Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100, you can at least feed one. So we partnered with Convoy Hope. And we said, what if we go out? And we get churches to kind of say, hey, we'll help take care of Haiti. We'll tell, help take care of the Philippines. What if we started getting some churches to do that at $10 a month? So you do one kid, and you do two, and you do one, and collectively that's 100 What if we started doing that? And here we are five years later. You know, eight years ago, or several years ago, actually, we took care of a whole group in the Philippines. And there was this girl named Kate that we decided that she was part of the group that we took care of. And so we interviewed her, like, what does that meal mean to her? And then we thought, eight years later, let's go back and see. You know how you give, and you're like, does it make any difference? Come on. You ever done that? You're like, okay, my money's gone. Did it make a difference? We went back eight years later with a video camera and said, okay, Kate, what did the $10 a month do for you? This is the story of Kate. This is the difference that's made in her life. And I'm going to ask you after we watch this video to listen to your pastor and help me and help your pastor bring more kids from the outside of the walls to the inside of the walls. Here's the story of Kate. Check it out. I go to bed, I have no food in my stomach. If I don't have enough food, I, I can't concentrate in my studying and I can't understand what my teacher was saying to me. Thank you because the food that they give to us will will not be will not be wasted. taking up hotel and restaurant services. By God's grace, uh, we have our food now. I'm so grateful and I will be forever grateful that Convoy of Hope is uh, as a sponsor of our church for me to continue my study and have my meal. <laughs> Sometimes before, I'm thinking that we're the, the most <laughs> poor people in the world, but as I'm uh, looking around uh, here at our community, I saw a lot of people, they were more poor than us. Studying hard now, uh, 
um, for my future and someday I promise to myself I'm going to help them help, help my community here our community and our church that and I will and someday become the sponsor of our church like you guys so thank you <laughs>